Amen. Well, again, welcome, guys, this evening. My name is Caleb Brazier. Great to be uh, here with you tonight. I'm one of the pastors here at The Grove, and we are continuing our study through the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. We're finishing up. We will finish next Sunday. It will be our final week in Philippians. We're in the last few verses here. Paul is rounding out this letter that he has written to this church. So Paul helped start this church 10 years previously, not not in 2010, but I mean 10 years before he wrote this letter. Uh, he helped start the church in Philippi. This was recounted in Acts uh, chapter 16 when this church was started. And Paul is now writing to this church from a Roman prison cell, wanting to check on how they're doing and also thank them for the gift that they sent to him through this man named Epaphroditus, who brought, traveled from Philippi to Rome to see Paul. And Paul's now writing back to them to encourage them, to challenge them, to thank them. And he is here in his final words, his salutation, his, um, his, uh, his ending um, versus these final greetings that we see here. And in it, uh, it may seem, if, this, if you, you know, read through the Bible, maybe you've been reading through Philippians, or maybe you'll read it in just a second and go, well, these feel kind of like throwaway verses, like at the end of a, an email when you're like, uh, if you need anything, let me know. It's like, that's true, but no one ever like actually takes you up on that. It's just what you say at the end of an email. Like, surely that's what Paul, Paul is here is giving his, if you need anything, let me know. I'm in a prison cell, but I'll help if you can, uh, Paul. Like, that's what it seems like maybe and if we aren't careful we can breeze right past these verses but I think that there's something that Paul shows us here as he's writing not necessarily to teach but to send greetings there is something within these two verses we'll look at tonight as Paul shows us a bit of the shape and the flavor of what a church should look like what a church should feel like what a shirt church should taste like not physically but metaphorically what should a church be it's an important question to ask and one that we often don't ask we kind of just assume the answer well a church is a group of people that gather together worshiping Jesus the word maybe is preached we sing some we pray some we get rained on that's obviously what happens at church but what is a church what makes a church a church? What's the true nature of what that community should look like, what that fellowship should be? And I think if I had a hunch, I would think that we, particularly in America, often are more influenced by our culture than we realize, particularly when it comes to kind of an individualistic society living in the middle of a consumeristic-driven society. And as I've looked at my own life, and I've looked at churches I've been in and, and have uh, seen throughout uh, my many, many years. Um, I have seen these things seep into the church, individualism and consumerism. My life is about me, and I'll add the church in where I want. My relationship is a personal relationship with me and Jesus, just me and him. I read my Bible, I pray to him, I sing to him. And if it's helpful for me, then maybe I'll get around other people. And again, that sense of consumerism where we walk into the church and ask, okay, what can the church do for me? I like this. I don't like this. I like that. And the moment that then it stops giving us what it is that we would want, then we would leave. But Paul here writes something different about what a church should be, what that community should look like, what that fellowship should look like. We've talked about that word a lot through Philippians, that word fellowship. And Paul shows us what this fellowship of the saints is like in Philippi 
and like in Rome where he is as he writes this letter. So let's read verses 21 and 22, and then we'll look and see what we can learn about the true nature of Christian fellowship in these two verses. Paul writes this in his final greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. That's it. Again, you may read right past that and go, Paul's just saying, hey, guys, people said, what up? Good good to see you. People in Rome said, hey. But I want us to look. There's three things I think we can see from these two verses about what the nature of true fellowship looks like. And the outline is in that first sentence that Paul writes in verse 21. Look back at it. That first sentence in verse 21, Paul writes this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So we have three points tonight, and it comes from that sentence. Greet is going to be point number one. Every saint will be point number two, and in Christ Jesus will be point number three. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. What should this fellowship look like? Well, I think we'll see first there should be a warmth of fellowship. As we're called to greet one another. We look at the extent of the fellowship as it goes to every saint. And third, we look at the foundation of that fellowship. It's in Christ Jesus. So first, greet. Point number one, Paul says greet. Now notice, this is a command. Paul is writing to this church and going, hey, here is one of the commands that God's Holy Spirit, who is currently inspiring me to write this to you, is commanding you to do greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul has wrote and told them to fight other kinds of sin, and now he's positively encouraging them and giving them a positive command to greet one another. Not only does he command them to greet others, but he says that people are greeting them. Look further in 21. He says, the brothers who are with me send you greetings. So Paul's saying, hey, the Christians that are here around me right now, here in Rome, send you greetings. And in fact, verse 22, all the saints send you greetings. Paul's saying the entire church in Rome is sending you greetings. They want you to say, they want you to know their relationship, their love, and their affection for you. You can feel the warmth that's there in this community. Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, and he's communicating to them, greet one another. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Also, know that all the church here in Rome sends you greetings. They love you. They want you to know how much they miss you. They're writing for their affection for you. And we see not only the warmth, but we see the connectedness of these churches. The church in Philippi did not exist in isolation. But the church in Philippi was concerned about how the church in Rome was doing. The church in Rome was concerned about how the church in Philippi was doing. They weren't about building their own brand. They were about moving forward this missional call to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And they said, we are in this together. And a win for you is a win for us. So we want you to know we miss you. We're praying for you. We're sending you greetings. They were not on an island. And we see that for us then today, the importance to know that this church is not the only church in the community. This church is not the only church in the state. This church is certainly not the only church in the world. We play a part in God's global call. And we link arms with every other church that's on that same mission. And we are connected within that. So even as we are partnering with different people around the world, Eric Bancroft down in Miami, Antonio Morrow over in Italy, Gary Crawford as he goes back and forth to the islands, 
Sonia and the Dilworths as they are over in Africa, that as we do that, we understand that we want to build those relationships in which there is actually a relationship, in which we would send greetings. They had a letter that they would tell Paul to send that to. We have text messages and emails and phones and cars and planes, things that Paul had no idea what that would be. And so there is a warmth that we see that exists within this fellowship as they greet one another and they greet other churches. Just as practical as it gets, one of the things that this does for us as a church is are we doing this every Sunday? Are we greeting one another? Or is there a tendency we have to want to come in and go to our seat that we have? I guess out here it's literally your seat, but you understand what I mean as you had brought your own lawn chairs. But you come to your assigned seat, you sit next to the people that you know, you talk to the people that you know, you see your friends. Or is there a sense in which we are drawn and driven to greet one another? To create an atmosphere of warmth within this fellowship where if someone walks in for the first time, they don't walk in and go, oh, this feels like a club that I'm clearly on the outside of. But they would feel like this is a house that I'm being welcomed into. Each of us know how to welcome people. If someone comes over to your house, how would you treat them? You wouldn't talk to the people that are already there and make them fend for themselves. You would invite them to come sit down, get them a glass of water. And so the same here, if someone walks into this house, are we having this kind of warmth of a fellowship, this kind of a warm community, a welcoming community in which we are greeting one another? Knowing that every Sunday you walk in, your seat isn't the one that you've been going to, but your seat is the one where you say, there's someone that's new. My seat is right next to them. Six, like six feet apart right now, but right next to them. Where we are looking with those kind of eyes, with that kind of a warmth. So that's the first thing we see about this kind of fellowship. There's a warmth of fellowship. Greet. But second, we see the extent of that fellowship. So then as, this, as God's creating this people, as God is creating this kind of community and fellowship and church, what is the extent of reach to? What does that church look like? What does that fellowship look like? Are they all the same? Do they have the same interests? Do they have the same movies? Do they have the same kind of season of life? Well, no, we see the extent of that fellowship is that we are called to greet every saint. Every saint. That word maybe needs a little bit of clarification, and I can't go deeply into it now, but perhaps you come from a Roman Catholic background in which sainthood were specific kind of all-star Christians that were set apart for either something that they did or how they lived, in which they were deemed as saints. They were the saints, and they were far above everyone else. But when you read the Bible, the Bible uses the language that every single Christian is actually a saint. So if you have followed Jesus, then you are a saint. God has set you apart for a special purpose and is calling you to a holy life. You are a saint, not because of what you have done, but because of what God has done for you and what Christ has done in you. And so as Paul writes here, he's not telling them, greet every saint, the one or two saints you may have in the church of Philippi. He's saying every single Christian has been declared a saint through the righteousness of Christ. And so that reach, that extent of this fellowship goes to every single person who believes, not just depending on what it is they like, who it is we enjoy being around, or having a fellowship that 
uh, looks the same as us. But Paul is saying this greeting and this warmth should reach to every single Christian and should cross over barriers that this world has to bring a different kind of unity that this world doesn't understand. Paul's saying that's what the flavor of this fellowship should be like. There should be a warmth there. Greet one another. Make sure you greet every saint. And as he tells them to greet every saint, notice that he says, all the saints who are with me, that all the saints send you greetings in verse 22. He's saying, hey, all the saints here in Rome, this whole church in Rome sends you greetings. And you notice that clause he says right there at the end of 22. And this is an interesting phrase. He says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Isn't that a strange phrase? What's he mean by that? Well, we don't know entirely. Some of this is speculation as far as what he means. What we do know is that there were Christians here in Caesar's household, in the imperial guard. They're in Caesar's house where there were servants, where there were family members. We don't know, but they were there. And perhaps in that time, the most unlikely place for a Christian to be. Here is this emperor who deemed himself to be the Lord and Savior of people. The church in Philippi was perhaps being persecuted, as Paul was writing to them in chapter 1, because they were saying that Jesus is Lord, as he told them in chapter 2, and they weren't saying that Caesar is Lord. They were perhaps receiving persecution from the very house where there were Christians who were there. And Paul is saying that there are Christians here in this place where there certainly should not be, but yet they're not only saved, but they send you their greetings as well. So perhaps they knew them. Perhaps they uh, fought in, um, in war together. There were many in Philippi. Uh, Philippi became a Roman colony in 40 B.C., a number of years before Paul wrote this. But one of the things that Rome did is that when they fought in an army and the people would retire, they would give them, those veterans, land here in Philippi. So a huge part of the culture in this city were retired Roman veterans. And so how they knew each other, we don't know, but perhaps they used to fight together in the war. But regardless, they are now Christians and belong to a different kingdom. And Paul says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. And the thing for us, we should step back and be blown away that God's grace can reach into the most unlikely of places and bring us into a relationship with him can reach not only into our hearts, but can reach into the house of the most powerful man during that time. A man that was bent on snuffing out Christianity and persecuting the church, and God said, no, there are some in that house who are mine, and he saved them. Now, a quick aside then, this is what the extent of the fellowship should look like, but a quick aside that we have to pause on, because we have to, I need to remind myself of this. To see the power of the gospel at work. Right? Maybe you are far godlier than I am, and you probably are, but sometimes in my own flesh and in my own mind, there are times in which I go, oh, this person seems like uh, they're closer to becoming a Christian than this other person. Or maybe even times in which I go, I, I, God, I can't imagine a way in which this person would come to know you. There were too many barriers, there are too many hurdles. It seems like their mind is made up. They are uh, writing stuff on Facebook that's opposed to who you are and what you've said. God, it just almost, if I'm honest, maybe there's parts of me that God goes, uh, it feels like it's too far. It feels like they cannot be reached or maybe even hopeless. So I want to pause and just remember who's writing this letter to the church in Philippi 
and to see that there are those in Caesar's household who now believe that in this place where there should be no Christians, there are Christians who are writing their greetings to the church in Philippi. And the one who's writing the letter was a man who used to try to kill the very church that he is now sending it to. He was trying to kill and assassinate Christians. This was Paul's job. This is what he sought to do. He went around as a Roman citizen and a Jewish zealot trying to kill anyone who was moving this message of Christianity forward. And then what happened? Jesus got a hold of his heart. And Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And notice, Jesus had already ascended. Jesus wasn't here on earth. Paul was persecuting the church, but Jesus so closely associates himself with his church that when he asked Paul the question, he said, Paul, not why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting me? And Jesus showed him the beauty of the gospel, opened the eyes of his heart to be able to see the hope that he has in him. And he took him, he said, Paul, I'm actually now going to take you and you are going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You're going to write more than half of the New Testament. Paul, I'm going to use you as the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. And he was a Middle Eastern terrorist who was trying to snuff out Christianity. And I love, I love the disciples' reaction whenever Paul becomes a Christian in Acts 9. I don't know if you've read this, but in Acts 9, 26, Paul goes to Jerusalem to meet the disciples. If you're a disciple, what is your reaction going to be when you hear that Paul, the persecutor, wants to meet you? Paul has become a Christian. Oh, okay, Paul. Like, that's going to work. All of a sudden, now you're a Christian. I'm sure in their minds, they think if there's anyone who is unsavable on this planet, it is Paul, the one who has killed friends of ours. There's no way that he now wants to come as a follower of Jesus. So in Acts 9, 26 says this, that when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they didn't believe that he was a disciple. Like, Paul, listen, no way, man. That's the oldest trick in the book. Not, not, not having it. We don't believe it. And yet, sure enough, it's exactly what happened. A former Middle Eastern terrorist and religious zealot is now sending his affection here in Philippians to a group of Gentile believers that he formerly would have been trying to assassinate. And he's highlighting here that there are others in the very household that's leading the persecution of their church that also sends greetings. Friends, this is the power of the gospel on display. You may think that there are people in your life that feel unreachable. Friends, coworkers, family members, children. You might even say it feels hopeless. Friends, let me promise you this. As long as we are in the domain of the gospel, there is no one who is hopeless. So we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Paul writes in Romans 1.16, we are not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The power doesn't rest in you. The power doesn't rest in how persuasive you might be. The power rests in the gospel. And so we share it because it is the power, the dynamite, the dynamo of God for salvation to 
everyone who believes, not a certain type of race, not a certain socioeconomic status, but for everyone who believes. And the extent of this fellowship goes beyond what the world should say makes sense, and it goes to the very ends of the earth. And Paul is saying that you should greet in warmth and affection every saint. The extent of the fellowship runs to everyone who believes. The gospel extends beyond our imaginations and around the world. The fellowship extends beyond our walls, beyond our tents, and reaches around the world. So that's the extent of this fellowship. But third, we have to ask, what's the foundation of the fellowship? If we are to be warm and welcoming to greet one another, to greet other churches, if the extent then runs to the ends of the earth, to anyone who would believe, what then is the foundation of the fellowship? Because when we talk about fellowship or community, community is a really popular word in church to talk about, to find community. But again, how do we define what community is? Is it just people that we enjoy being around? Friends, people that are like us, people that have similar interests than us, share common goals, aspirations, seasons of life? If so, the question I would have to ask is what makes that community any different from the community the world has? What makes Christian community different? What makes Christian fellowship different from the world? What makes it different is what it's founded in. It's founded not in what we have in common, but who we have in common. That we are to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Friends, the foundation of our fellowship isn't in what we share, but who we believe. And that who we believe, this man, Jesus Christ, who died, was crucified, buried, and rose again, ascended to heaven, and said that he's coming back again, our belief in him and in that gospel, it brings a unity that transcends the barriers in this world that try to separate us. That's the foundation of our fellowship. It is not how much you do or do not like Marvel movies, although if you don't, we can have a conversation afterwards and we can pray about it. It is not what books you enjoy. It is not where it is you work out or how you work out or if you work out. It is not what your favorite restaurants are. It is not if you were born in Florida or not in Florida. It is not the color of your skin. It is not your tax bracket. The things that bring unity to a fellowship, to a local church, the thing that makes a community Christian distinctly is that the unity is founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we all believe in the same man and believe that he has now called us to the same mission. That's the foundation. And goodness, in a time right now in the world, I haven't been around long, but I haven't felt this much division in our country. What a time, as Paul says in Philippians 2, to shine like stars in the darkness for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up and say, hey, in fact, we in this room believe different things about political ideology, about movies, about preferences, about our own seasons of life, and yet we love one another, are unified, and are working together towards the same mission. There is a love that transcends our differences. A watching world leans in and goes, how can you have that? What are you doing 
to get that kind of relationships because nothing like that seems possible. And I think that's exactly what the fellowship and the unity of the church does. I think that's why Jesus in John 17, before he was betrayed, do you know what he prayed for us, for you, for this church? He prayed for all the disciples who would believe in the message that his disciples would preach. That means Jesus was praying for us. And what he prayed is that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one that we would be one. Why? So that the world would know that the Father sent him. There's something compelling about that kind of a community. One in which someone walks in and looks around and goes, oh, it makes sense why they're all together. They all look the same. They sound the same. But when someone walks in and sees different ethnicities, different ages, different types of people, all gathered together worshiping this one man, there's it raises the eyebrows of the world. And true biblical community is formed not when we realize what we have in common, but when we realize who we have in common. And friends, if we want to find a deep community and true fellowship, we have to understand two things. First, we have to understand and know and believe this. I am saved by Jesus and I am sent by Jesus. We have to know that to be true. Our lives are not about us. We were saved by Jesus, and we are now sent by Jesus. But the second thing we have to know, see, God didn't just save a whole bunch of lone rangers and send them out into the world. You read the Bible, and it's interesting throughout the whole Bible that God's mission is always a group project. There's a corporate shape to God's people from Genesis to Revelation. It's always a people. And so the second thing we have to understand is to open our eyes to look around and to see this, that we are saved by Jesus and we are sent by Jesus. This is a community. This is a fellowship. As God has called us to be partners in the gospel, to use Paul's language in Philippians, to be fellow workers and co-workers side by side, striving together for the faith, as he says in chapter 1. To have that kind of a mindset, when that begins to happen, then true Christian fellowship and community starts to form. As we see that it's not all up to us, but to quote the great philosopher Zach Efron, we are all in this together. Friends, would we have that kind of a view of the local church? The church isn't just a club for us to get to know friends, but it's an army that we are joining to carry out the mission that God has called us to side by side for the faith of the gospel. That creates a different kind of fellowship with people that look different than us, speak different languages than us, eat different foods than us. And we see that fellowship has to be founded in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say greet every saint and what it is you have in common. Greet every saint and the shared interest that you have. He says greet them in Christ Jesus. That's where the fellowship is founded. Not the movies you like, not the season of life you're in, not the color of your skin, not the way you vote, not your political leanings, not your preferred style of music. The fellowship of the saints is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And that's just the thing about who Paul is talking about here. He's letting them know in Philippi, guys, this is the fellowship that God is creating. God is calling you to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Greet one another. All the brothers here send you greetings. All the saints actually in Rome send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul's writing to this church in Philippi that's made of this ragtag group of believers. 
Look back at Acts 16 and the founding of the church. It started their core group for the church in Philippi before they launched as a church in Acts 16 was a slave girl, a Philippian jailer, and Lydia, uh, who was a dealer of purple goods, an Asian businesswoman. That was their core group. But you know what they had in common? Jesus Christ. They were saved by him and sent by him. And whenever people come together and begin to have that kind of perspective of what a church is, and have that kind of openness to say, Jesus, I give you my life. Whatever it is you want, I'm here. I'm here to work for your mission, and I'm doing it alongside these people. God takes those people, and he turns the world upside down. God's not looking for impressive people. God's looking for dependent people. Those are the people that God has used throughout history and throughout the scriptures. And so here, Paul is writing to this church in Philippi and telling them, have that kind of warmth to see the extent of what this fellowship has reached and to see the foundation of their fellowship because this church was imperfect. This church was diverse. This church, by all stretch of the imagination in that culture, should have been divided as it was no doubt made up of Roman Christians and Jewish Christians and Greek Christians who had all of these cultural barriers. Can you imagine being Jewish in Philippi and seeing this Roman power come over and oppress your people and here now you're sitting next to someone who's Roman and who's in your church I can guarantee you those two people have very different thoughts of Rome but God hasn't called them to have the exact same political leanings God called them to worship and follow and serve the same savior and they were able to transcend the barriers that existed in their church because they looked to him knowing about what God had called them to. And they weren't allowing the enemy or the world to bring in any barriers or division. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do, since union is strength. He does his best to promote separation. Friends, I promise you the enemy is at work hard within this country to try to bring division because he knows the danger of a unified church. And may we step back and believe what it is that God is calling us to believe as we open the scriptures and walk through a political season that is guaranteed to bring division in this country. May we as a church, though, transcend that and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on the mission that he is calling us to, and see our ultimate hope is not in a president, but in a king that's coming back one day. doesn't mean it's not important, but we make sure where our hope lies, that our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. May we look to him. May we stay unified. May there be a warmth in this fellowship. May we glory in the extent of this fellowship as it extends around this county and around the world. And may we stay on the foundation of this fellowship. Friends, may we greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so, so flawed. But God, you have called us by your grace into this incredible community and this incredible fellowship. God, help us to see what it is you're doing here. And God, help us to learn to trust in you. God, would you create something special here? We've got a group of imperfect people that are following a perfect Savior. 
God, create that kind of fellowship here in this church. God, create that kind of unity here in this church through the bonds of peace in your spirit. God, that we would be founded on Christ Jesus, that we would greet with warmth and connectedness with one another and to churches that we're connected to around the world. And God, that we would celebrate and revel in the extent and the power of this glory and this fellowship and this gospel. God, help us to trust in you, to see what you've done for us, and to continue to raise high the name of Jesus Christ. Because there is coming a day when that's going to happen, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God, we pray that more and more would bend the knee today and not on that day, to see the hope and the life and the joy and the peace that's found through your Son, through trusting and believing in him. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.